welcome to Bookswell Intersections, a podcast devoted to connecting readers and writers in Los Angeles. Our goal is to make the book scene in LA easier to navigate, to introduce readers to new writing, and to weave together digital and real-life literary experiences. Our passion is amplifying underheard voices in publishing, including writers of color and LGBTQ, female, and indie writers. I'm your host, Cody Sisko. Welcome to Bookswell Intersections. This is Bookswell Intersections, Episode 2. Our Intersections co-hosts for today are Irene Yoon. Hi. Sarah Labrie. Hello. Dan Lopez. Hey there. And Rochelle Youssef. Hi. Today we'll be recapping recent book events, having a chat among our co-hosts to introduce ourselves, and looking at the events coming up through the end of March and beyond. So, what have we all been up to in this brief time since Episode 1? Rochelle, can you start us off? Yeah, definitely. I actually uh, went to the Marlon James reading at Skylight a few weeks ago, which was really great. It was my first time hearing him reading and talking. And the thing that's interesting to me, which I don't know if anyone else finds this interesting, but it's one of the first literary events I've gone to in a while where it was just him. Like, not a conversation, not a panel, just Hmm. him talking. And he did really well. I mean, I don't know that very many authors can like carry a conversation that way. But he's also a professor, which I think you can tell. Like okay. you can hear the way he talks and answers questions and there's a very lengthy like Q&A session after. But it was really fun and he's a really interesting person who did a lot of research for his book. Um, what is what's it called? Um, Red Leopard, no, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, I think is what it is. Uh, super interesting. It's like a lot of research, a lot of historical folklore mixed with like sci-fi and fantasy, and it sounds super interesting. That is definitely on my reading list. Yes. I highly recommend. That sounds like fun. Did he get into I, all the reviews I've read about it? Say it's violent. Um, did he get into that that part of it? I'm just very curious. I haven't picked it up yet. It's I very think he posing. did, but honestly, I can't remember what he said about it. But I think he was kind of like, well, you know, a lot of the stuff I just pulled from, like, myth and folklore, too. So I think some of it was just kind of built into the story also. Where was that event? At Skylight. It was standing room only. It was super packed. Um, Loved it. Super great event. The event I went to at Skylight on Sunday was not packed, but but a really important event for different reasons. Um, So it was a a panel. They had the editors from uh, a new book called Headcase, LGBT Writers and Artists on Mental Health and Wellness. And they also had two of the contributors there, Thomas Mondragon and Bill Konigsberg. Um, It was intense. So um, Bill Konigsberg was speaking for the first time about having depression and um, some of the descriptions um, were um, very moving and and, um, maybe a little too familiar. (laughs) And then um, Stephanie Schroeder talked about crowdsourcing her antipsychotic medicine. So she was, you know, she's a writer, she doesn't have a lot of money, she was trying to afford her medication and was running out and so basically put out a call on social media and was like, found a lot of ways that she was able to, to get this medication, but um, it really highlighted, and she called this out, how dire it can be for people suffering mental illness to just get medication that keeps them alive. Right. Um, so, you know, I came away from that um, taking a lot of deep breaths and, <laughs> right. um, you know, being glad that they had put this event on and that they were raising that, um, raising that flag. 
That sounds really that sounds really fascinating. Like a heavy event, but probably a really rewarding one at the same time. I was glad I came out. Yeah. Was it different genres of writing? Because I know Bill Konigsberg has done YA before. I don't know if he's a YA author, but I know he's written. So I have the book here right in front of me. I picked (laughs) it up at the um, at the event, and I haven't dug into it yet because that was just like two days ago. Um, PSA: Always buy the book when you go to the event. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, definitely. And if you can stick around and get it signed, I um, Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to do that, but Skylight does have a very good signing line, um, like method. You know, moves pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. highly recommend buying the book and get mm-hmm. it signed. What else have you guys been up to? Well, I guess I have a confession. Speaking of <laughs> readings that Skylight, oh, no. I didn't make it to the reading I wanted to last week, the Nina Rivora oh. reading at Skylight. So I guess we're going from like a fully packed room mm. to less fully packed room to me in my <laughs> to room. <who> knows? <laughs> <laughs> By myself. <laughs> um, but um, I hope it went well. I'm sure it did. But um, I did end up actually, so I guess to maybe recap from last episode, um, I was really excited about going um, in part because of the content of the book. Um, it's being billed very much as a, a novel of and about Los Angeles in all of its weird gradations, economically, geographically, culturally. Um, and for me, just moving back to LA after 15 years of not being here, I was really excited about the idea of reading something kind of to reground me, I guess. It's kind of like a homecoming. So um, I did end up reading this book, though, that I'm really excited about that I also brought with me, <laughs> um, called False Calm um, by Maria Sonia Christoph, um, an Argentinian novelist and journalist who uh, wrote this really beautiful, kind of, a, a, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of an incredible uh, travelogue and memoir of sorts of her return to Patagonia, to these ghost towns of Patagonia that she had grown up in and then fled, <laughs> as one does when, you know, uh, she was 20. And so she went back um, and, you know, just went from town to town collecting all these stories. But it's this really incredible travelogue insofar as there's really no mention of the landscape or scene setting or anything like that. And each chapter you just dive right into a person's story in one of these small towns and they're often very weird and devastating and intimate and estranging at the same time um, which maybe is funny uh, before we started recording Cody had asked us to think a little bit about the kinds of novels and texts or works I guess that you're drawn to and I think this might be <laughs> that that kind of strange combination of like you have you know real intimacy and also a feeling of kind of displacement, I guess. That's something I feel like I identify with a lot. And so in thinking about the themes of homecoming or returns or the possibilities of those things, I feel like she captures that so beautifully in not even highlighting herself or her own voice, but actually in, um, she calls it, I think, ventriloquizing the atmosphere. Mm, wow. um, and the way that she kind of manages this like double voicedness um, is really spectacular. So. Highly recommend it. Um, Falls Calm. It came out in October of last year. It's translated by Catherine Silver from the Spanish. Um, came out through Tanzit Books, and it's a beautiful book that you guys can see here. And I promise you, everyone who's listening, is really pretty. <laughs> so please go out and buy it and read it. And yeah. And you've recently moved back to Los Angeles, right? Yeah. So I moved back after. Yeah, 15 years of living in Chicago and Russia and the Bay Area and now back home, um, which has felt very weird. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I'm trying to read things to get a handle on that, I think, um, by reading about Patagonia, which makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Just like LA. Just <laughs> like LA, totally. I gotta say, the older I get, the less I care about some of the, like, I'm gonna call it fluff, but not to offend writers, I'm not a writer, but like, so you said like she cuts out some of the like landscape and all, like and just gets right to the story and I feel like the older I get the more I'm like yes please just get to the story like that's what I care about like I don't care about good writing I don't care about like you giving me an in-depth like understanding of the like background and the and the room that we're sitting in like I want a good story which I understand some of those things can contribute to a good story but that's what I want like I want to just get right to it. I'm I'm with you, Rochelle. And as a writer, I'm with you because I feel like the number one, my husband and I get in this argument all the time, the number one job of a writer is to entertain above everything else. Like, I happen to like really good sentences, but a really good sentence about nothing in a plotless book is going to be a hard sell for me. The exception is someone like a Rachel Cusk from what you were de- uh, describing, Irene, maybe is similar to uh, the book you said where it's like just a lot of voices talking to you. Um, that can be good, but I really feel like you gotta you gotta entertain people. You gotta bring something that people want to turn the page with, and not just a bunch of flowery, beautiful language. So it's definitely like I hear you, and I I stand that <laughs> position. <laughs> I agree, Dan. I there's a there's a writer and like a writing coach. I think her name is Lisa Cron. Lisa Crone, one of those two. She has a book about story. Yes. Yes, and she I I haven't read the book, but I've heard her speak and talk about like story is what matters to people not just in books but in life like that's the thing that we connect to and so writers who really get that right who understand like we're here to hear a story yeah they... I... oh go ahead no that that's it <laughs> uh yeah i think her book is called wired for story yes. and it was about sort of the cognitive science behind why we get engaged yes. in a text and it revealed some of the techniques for 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 pulling you into the story and keeping your attention um yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a great book for writers, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, right. Well, it's interesting, too, with the um, False Calm uh, book, because I feel like as a travelogue of sorts, I mean, I actually was kind of hoping to have a little bit more. <laughs> um, just I'm like, Patagonia is like, yeah, I mean, like, literally like, the furthest I could imagine, <laughs> like, you know, like, like in terms of like, you know, inhabitable land, and it's barely habitable, and I think... Um, so it's interesting because I w- would actually kind of like like to know more about the landscape and about the weirdness of the geography there. But I think what is interesting about what she's doing is that she's working against like that as the kind of major trope of all writing about Patagonia as like, you know, being out in this like isolated space and like how people end up, you know, interacting with the geography around them and building these communities, which um, she gets at, but through the kind of like, interior uh, spaces like both like I guess being in people's homes and also just in people's stories like inhabiting their stories mm-hmm. in this really interesting way so it's yeah this like ghost land becomes very peopled or populated I guess in a really interesting yeah in an interesting way that is not necessarily rooted in the geography of the place so much if that makes sense <laughs> so. yeah I feel like the books that I like to read do tend to be very literary and um, I feel also like the audience for those kinds of books is shrinking for better or for worse. Like books that do depend entirely on language um, and don't, you know, have a lot of plot. Um, I'm also a writer and I love them, but I am a professional book group facilitator. And I'll say that a lot of my book groups, the people who really like to buy books, don't don't want to read books where nothing happens. And I, I don't blame them. It's hard to find something to talk about. 
Um, but I wonder if there is just some sort of fundamental shift happening in terms of like reading tastes right mm-hmm. now and, and where that'll lead. That's interesting because there's also this like, um, it's a, everyone says it's a strong moment for poetry, which, you know, is mm-hmm. just inherently much less narrative, right? It's more um, essential in terms of the basics of language and emotion. So I, I, it seems like those things are both happening at the same time and pushing in different directions. Yeah, we're like in an era of extremes, I feel like. <laughs> <laughs> Across the board. <laughs> I will say, Cody, though, that while I agree that it's a huge moment for poetry, I've also noticed a lot of the like hot young poets have all of a sudden written novels or are writing novels. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't presume to know the reason why, but I suspect it has to do with more people buy novels than Fails, books right? of poetry. Um, so maybe there's something, maybe there's something there that we ultimately want a story mm-hmm. as consumers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book I brought up last week, Washington Black, has still been on my mind, especially in the context of this conversation, because Asiya Dujan um, is taking sort of that Henry James style of like very sensual writing and, you know, you can smell everything and taste everything. And then she's adding um, an adventure story mm-hmm. to it. And for some reason, that combination works so perfectly. And that book is like the most recent, like perfect book mm-hmm. that I've read. Um, and it's a book that I'd recommend to everyone. Whereas like the books that I'm reading right now, I like, but I don't necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily tell someone else to read them. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to hurt those others' feelings. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I did, I did want to mention one other event that I went to on Friday, which was um, put on by the Los Angeles Institute for the Humanities at USC. And they had a guest presenter. Her name was Emily Lakdawalla. And she, her first book was called The Design and Engineering of Curiosity, How the Mars Rover Performs Its Job. And... And she didn't talk much about the rover, but the talk was super fascinating because um, it was about how uh, scientific instruments perceive light and color and how that becomes translated into the images we as humans see. Mm -hmm. And I left with this really weird feeling because she talked about how humans have basically three cones in our eyes and we only perceive certain ranges of, of light. And basically what we see or what we understand as our like multicolored rainbow experience is a simulation inside of our brains that's like a projection <laughs> of very, three. Anyway, I, it was fascinating and interesting, but um, yeah, I some for some reason I'm going to a lot of these events that are having um, a really big impact on me right now. <laughs> Did you know that like, I think butterflies have 18 like cones or rods or whatever going on, so the spectrum that they see is really. Yeah. So all the butterflies that are yeah, I was Los thinking Angeles about right that. Now. Yeah, exactly. The giant swarm <laughs> overhead is seeing a very different world <laughs> than the one that we see. They know something is going on that we don't, <laughs> exactly. and we should all be <laughs> concerned. I feel that's just about as good a segue as possible into <laughs> an event that I was uh, looking at going to. Now I don't know if I'll make it because it's in Flint Ridge, um, and I live in Santa Monica, so that's a bit of a hike. Um, but it's an architectural guidebook to Los Angeles. The author, the editor, is Robert uh, Inman. He took over the editing from his mentor and uh, writing collaborator, the guy who originally wrote it, Robert Winter. Uh, it looks amazing. Like I am someone who had a love-hate relationship with Los Angeles for a long time, but what I've always loved about the city 
is the sort of modernist architecture and the way the city's constantly reinventing itself without necessarily having to knock down stuff. Like mm -hmm. New York, where I lived for many years, is constantly knocking things down. But LA, you can kind of keep all these things. So you have all these architectural treasures around town. And for many of them, they're just sitting there. Like there's, I forget, I forget who the architect, but there's a famous architect that built uh, like really fancy condo type building right across from UCLA that's now a really trashy like fraternity house <laughs> and whenever I be by UCLA I'm like that house does not look like it belongs here and sure enough it's because it's some famous modern architect that mm -hmm. built it um, so it's those kind of stories that I find really fascinating and I've actually seen this book at the bookstore where I work and I'm always tempted to like pick it up and like next time I have people in town or next time I want to go on like, a walking tour I'm definitely gonna get it and if I find myself in Flint Ridge on the 31st at 5 p.m. Um, at Flintridge Books and Coffee House, I will pick it up there from them and have the author sign it. Just speaking of old LA, um, I wanted to give a shout out to a student of history by Nina Revoir. She had uh, an event at Skylight that um, Irene told me about that I was going to go to and I picked up the book to read it and I ended up staying at home all night and reading the book instead of going to the event and I loved it. Um, it's a really good study of class in LA and these old money LA families. Um, and kind of where their money comes from and what the who the streets are named after. Um, the character at the heart of the book is a Mrs. W, and W obviously is meant to stand for Wilshire, and there's just this, you know, there are Doheny's and Mulholland's, and um, it's very sort of insider baseball LA, but the story, you know, speaking of story, is also really, really good. Um, and yeah, I want, I want that book to get a wider audience. It came out from Akashic Press, which is a pretty small press that, that does well, but um, I'm hoping it'll get a national audience, and so I wanted to I give it some love. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to reading it. So you both wanted to go to the event, and then neither one went <laughs> to the event. <laughs> Did you do that for a national stay home and read day? Which just yeah. happened. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I haven't read this most recent one that she wrote, but I've read one of her earlier ones. I think it's called Lost Canyon. And she's really good at writing about LA, I think. Like I know she's got she's written other books about Los Angeles as well, but um, she does a very good job, I think, about talking about different kind of people and perspectives in Los Angeles and kind of bringing them together. So I agree. I mean, I highly recommend her writing, and she's a great Los Angeles author. So Rochelle, I wanted to ask, you know, because you're joining us for the first time, more about what books you like, where you find them. It happens that you have a book-related job, so that probably helps. Right. So I've been gravitating a lot towards young adult, um, not necessarily recently, just for like the longest time, because I do think they're some of the most interesting books that are being written, some of the books that are kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit. And early on have been some of the books that have like really advocated and some of the authors that have really advocated for diversity in publishing um, through like movements like we need diverse books and things like that. So mm -hmm. I read a lot of young adult books. I think it like really holds my attention. Um, and I love mystery. I love mystery books. Um, like for example, another really great LA author, Attica Locke, who has a new book coming out also. Um, writes fantastic mystery that I would kind of call almost mystery like meets literary fiction kind of um, really really great author so I like those two genres a lot and tend to have kind of been moving away a little bit from literary fiction I've kind of blamed that on grad school like I thought it kind of burned mm -hmm. that out of me like I don't want to read <laughs> books that sound good that mean nothing to me um, so post-grad school I've done a lot of young adults and like mystery and things like that I do have a book related job um, I do 
uh, different kinds of events, one of them being the Freya Project in Los Angeles, which does have an event coming up, no specific date yet, but the Freya Project uh, is an, a reading series that advocates for women, is women storytellers basically, and also has a component of advocacy where the money from the events go to different women-centered organizations that are overlooked in the cities where they operate. So um, I do a lot of like looking for writers, not even just like fiction or nonfiction, like comedians or people who write for TV, do a lot of research about those kinds of things in preparation for the event so that I can, you know, have a good idea of what people want to see, you know, in, in the coming months. Um, and I also work for Y'all West, which is a literary festival for young adults that happens in Santa Monica every year. Uh, it's an interesting festival because a lot of the people who work the festival are authors themselves, so it's author-led. So I do a lot of like young adult reading for those kinds of things as well. I remember the Freya Project event. That was great. Yes, yeah. it's um, a really good event. It's a lot of a lot of times it's the first time these people are reading personal essays out loud because a lot of these people are like fiction writers, poetry writers, whatever. But this is the first time they've written and read out loud a personal essay, mm -hmm. and so it tends to mean a lot for the authors and it means a lot for the audience. It's a different well. beast. Yes, it is. Yeah, people get really nervous. People who have like who are seasoned readers who have done like events millions of times get really nervous for reading a personal essay out loud. But it also just makes for a really great like um, uh, moment. That sounds, that sounds great. I, I love all of that stuff. I love anything that, we've talked about this in the past, um, I believe on this podcast maybe, but also just, you know, as friends. Uh, I, I, got, I, I started writing in college, but I never went and got an MFA or, an MFA or anything like that. Um, so I love anything that is opening up avenues for writing and performing writing uh, for people that maybe didn't go the traditional route. Because um, it's just, it's one of those, I feel like all the arts, but writing especially is one of those things like if you can, you know, read and write, you can be a writer. It's just a matter of wanting to do it and finding the audience that wants to hear your work. Um, and I don't think we do enough as a community to kind of encourage, you know, quote unquote, outsider art in the in the writing world. So I love all those kind of things like, it's it's a fantastic it's a fantastic thing to, to be able to put on and to have people come and you can just watch people's eyes open when they read something and it connects with them with an audience. Yeah, one of our writers or one of our readers was a doula and she'd written a book, but I think it was nonfiction if I'm remembering correctly. But this was also one of her first times reading like a personal essay out loud. And that's so interesting to me because she had a completely different like way of communicating and expressing herself and she talked about things that like I had never really heard anyone talk about in a reading before. Hmm. Like what? Well, just like I, she, she know. I think she's just very comfortable talking about like the body, and like bodily fluids, <laughs> and things like that. I mean, she didn't go into like the birthing process or anything like that. But I mean, she talked about things that, like when I was reading it, I when I read her essay beforehand, I was like, oh, I wonder how that's gonna play in the room. But then when I heard her read it, it's like, oh yeah, this looks beautifully like very captivating and very like um it felt like normal to hear it even though when i was reading it i was like oh i don't know how that's gonna work you know great well i want to thank my co-hosts for today and we'll see you all again soon thanks Katie. thank you To browse upcoming events, sign up for our newsletter, or locate our Patreon donations page, visit us at www.bookswell.club.